Church, great to see you. Joel, great new song. Very bouncy. That's the word I have for it. It's bouncy. And I noticed you put your hair up between services. So I got hot. All right. Let's dive in. Genesis. Anyway, I love the I love Joel. He's a good songwriter, by the way, isn't he? Great job. So um you gotta hear that song a couple times. I'm not, you know, when you hear it multiple services, by the third service for me, I finally got it. So you'll get it, okay? So you'll get there. Turn, get your Bible out, Genesis chapter 24, and uh, get your note sheet out. So if you're joining a small group for the first time, this is your uh, preparation for your small group. All right, we do sermon-based small groups at Coastal Community Church, and uh, and so you can take notes here. And there's just room for hey, something kind of sticks out. Do you want to write it down? And and that really prepares you for your small group, okay? So, so get your note sheet out, Genesis chapter 24, and uh, we are, are starting, and we've, we've decided to, to really finish um, the book of Genesis. So if you're new to Coastal, we've started the last two new years, I guess, uh, with Genesis, and we called it Beginnings because it's the first book of the Bible. And so, uh, and so if you're new, I would really, really encourage you to go to the Coastal, go to, on your phone, download the Coastal app. App, okay, that's the easiest way to access old sermons. I would encourage you to listen as you're driving around over the next few weeks to the previous two years of sermons called Beginnings, all right? And so we started with the first 11 chapters and really the creation of the world and applied that. And then last year we went over the life of Abraham. Uh, and then this year we're going to finish. So uh, obviously we're covering um, 26 chapters. And so I got together uh, with my preaching team and I just said, look, I'm kind of at a dilemma with Genesis. There's a lot of chapters to cover. Uh, if we do one chapter each week, we're going to be in it for another two to three years, right? And so uh, we decided to try to finish the series before the return of Christ. And so, um, and so we're going to do it in large chunks, all right? And so because of that, there's a, an assumption that I'm making, because obviously I can't go through all the stories of so many verses, so many chapters, incredible read. It's an easy read. I mean, it'll, it will grip your attention. And so here's the assumption I'm making, and uh, we have provi- we're providing you with a resource. The assumption I'm making is you're reading the book of Genesis with me before you come in the room. Now, obviously, you didn't do it this week because I'm just announcing it, okay? But we have created for you a reading guide, a family reading guide, individual reading guide. Right now, we have one per family. If they're all gone this week, we'll print more, which would be great. I'd love for all of them to be gone, okay? And, uh, and so we have pre- well, printed for you a one-month reading guide where you read a chapter a day. We give you the main point of the chapter, and then there's room for you to write down, man, what the Lord's saying to you or what you learned or whatever, okay? So please, please, please make use of this. That's my assumption. You come in, you're up to speed on kind of the historical narrative of what we're covering. Yes? Can you do that? Yes? We need, by the way, church, we need to be, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you, you need to be in the word of the Lord, right? I mean, how are we going to know what God has for us if we're not regularly reading um, the word of God? And I'm often shocked by studies that show how little 
believers are, are reading uh, the Word of God. So we're going to cover 26 chapters. Today I'm covering three, which means I'm skipping chapter 24, all right? I'm not even going to talk about it, really. It's, it's uh, essentially where Isaac finds a wife, and I could preach a whole great sermon on, you know, how to find a great mate out of that, because uh, there's some great principles there, but I'm going to skip that. And so just to kind of give you an overview, okay, and the reason we chose as a church to go through Genesis, it's a little bit like being at a mall, right? Have you ever gone to a mall and you're trying to find a particular store and you walk in and there's that map, right, to the mall. And it's great. It's got all the stores listed and it's got them categorized under, you know, food or clothing or whatever bookstore. But you, 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 even though you see the map, you don't know where to go unless you know what. There's a little X usually on the map that says what? You're here, right? If you don't know where your starting point is, you don't know where you're going. And so, you know, I think as a culture, and even in Christian culture, we've lost our way a little bit. So we want to come back to Genesis and say, man, these are the beginnings. This is how God designed it. And, you know, in the first 11 chapters, man, we really lay out some, I think, some cultural shifts that, you know, the fam- the, how God's ordered the family, how God's ordered society, how He's made us in His image. These are like really, really critical truths that that are being attacked in our current culture. And that's why I want you to go back and listen to that series. Like this is very, really, really important. You, you don't know where you're going unless you start with you are here, right? And that's kind of God's design. And then last year, we looked at the story of Abraham. And so God makes a promise to Abraham, right? And he says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so we begin to see this, this seeds of faith that God is cultivating in this man named Abraham. And this man is going to have a great nation. And out of this great nation is to come the Messiah to which all the nations are blessed as we submit ourselves to the person and to the work of God's very own son, Jesus Christ. And so the rest of this letter, the rest of the book, essentially is the, the, the birthing of this family uh, and and you, if you read your Bible enough, you come across the term Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of our faith, where this promise is, is made over and over and over. So the rest of this book is this kind of this, this birthing of this family. And what you're going to see as you read it, and by the way, as you read Genesis, you're going to come away with a ton of questions. And they're the same questions I have. You're going to see brokenness and scheming and lying, even in the people of God, right? And you're going to be like, what in the world is God up to here? And ultimately what we're going to come away with is God is often, at the end of the day, He is true to His promises, right? And so when we talk about cultivating the promises of God, God is faithful to His promises promises, even when the people of God are unfaithful, right? And that gives me hope because guess what? There's not, I don't wake up every moment of every day where God is my vision, right? That he's my only thought. And so I need the reminder and I'm still thankful that God uses my sin and brokenness to still bring glory to his name when I humbly submit to him and repent of my sin and join God where he's working, right? Okay, so, so there you go. That's kind of an overview. And so the whole passage, I believe, points back to Genesis 3.15, this unfolding as Adam and Eve fall, okay? And in Genesis Genesis 3.15, as God is speaking to the serpent and he's cursing the serpent, which deceived 
uh, Eve and, and Adam willfully sin. And as he's talking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, or, the, or essentially the offspring of the woman, uh, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And so there's this promise in Genesis 3.15 that God is ultimately going to send a Savior, a Messiah, to redeem the brokenness of mankind. And Jesus, he's going to crush the head of Satan, but it's going to be difficult. The serpent is going to bruise the heel of man. So there's difficulty. And we know that in life, right? Maybe you're here this morning, you're checking out church, first time, long time kind of thing. And you're here, and you're here probably here because, man, life's not making a whole lot of sense to you, right? It's difficult, and there's difficulty in this journey until Christ returns. And so there's this promise of a Redeemer, and Genesis is the unfolding of this nation that is going to house the Messiah, okay, and give that the birth of the Messiah to the entire world. So there it is. There's overview, all right? I've already bored you to death. And, you know, by the way, we've got these new confidence monitors up here. We're trying them out. I know some of you already don't like them, whatever. Uh, We're just trying to figure out where to place them. Um, I love that they've put a clock closer to me, like that matters. Look, you can put the clock right here, okay? I don't care. I mean, you already got two back there, so um, that's the introduction. Um, Now, we're figuring out how to play these and better use these to help us, all right? So here we go. Uh, And so today we pick up with, okay, so remember last year, Abraham was promised that he was going to be given a son, and that son was going to birth a great nation. The only problem was, as Abraham's getting older, what happens? No son, right? And he's like, where's the son? Where's the son? Finally, he gets a son, and what's his son's name? Anybody remember? Isaac, right? He gets a son named Isaac, and he gets this son, the son of promise. And what does God tell him to do with the son? This is where we ended last year, right? He said, what? I want you to take your son and go do what? Anybody remember? Sacrifice him, right? And so, of course, it was a test. Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son, but it's a picture of God sending his own son as a sacrifice for us. And so that's where we ended. And so now we pick up with Isaac and his family, all right? And so 24, which I'm skipping, is Isaac finding a wife, okay? His wife's name's Rebecca. And then Rebecca gets pregnant and she has two children. She has twins and she has two children in the womb. Anybody know the children in the womb? Jacob and Esau, right? And so, and so she feels these twins in the womb and they're wrestling. So now we're going to pick up in Genesis 25. Look at that. I just preached through one and a half chapters. All right. So Genesis 25, verse 21, it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she's praying, like, what, what is going on in my womb? And so that she went to inquire of the Lord, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. There are two peoples from within you shall be divided. And the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay. And so what's happening here is, is, is a tale of two nations. And this is a theme, okay, that, that goes all the way through Scripture, that there, it, it's the, there's a tale of two nations, and even for you this morning, and the end, so I'll give you the end, the so what? The so what this morning is, which nation do you live in, okay? Because this is not a racial thing, and, and I think a lot of people really confuse this. You know, I see a lot of uh, people trying to, you know, say, you know, 
Israel and then the downline of Esau and there's, you know, this Middle Eastern thing going on and it's got to be that. And it's not racial, okay? That's, that's not the point. The point is these two nations are divided between a nation of belief and a nation of unbelief, all right? And so these two nations, as God is cultivating and being faithful to his word and his promises, he's birthing two nations and one believes the word of God, one believes the character of God, one trusts in the word of the Lord, the one is obedient to the word of the Lord, and the other does not love the word of the Lord, does not do what God has called them to do. Two nations, a nation of belief and unbelief. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, what you're believing in essentially is God's salvation plan. What is, what is his salvation plan? Well, that ultimately sent the Messiah, the, uh, the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. He lived a perfect life. He, he died on the cross, on the cross. God poured out his wrath and his hatred on sin and unbelief, which is the other nation. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Okay, he poured out his hatred for that and then he laid Jesus in the grave. Three days later, he rose again, authenticating his claims to be the Messiah. And anyone that repents of sin says, you know what? I was in nation two, but I want to come in nation one. Repents of sin, acknowledges of sin, repents of sin. Then the righteous works of Christ are now credited to us by grace alone, through faith alone, okay? And so what you're essentially doing is you're in the nation of belief. You're believing God's rescue plan for you, your salvation plan. That, that's that nation, okay? So there's, there's two nations here. And by the way, this is the kind of this two nation theme goes all the way through Scripture, and, and you'll see it over and over again, right? Hebrew, Hebrews 12 refers to it as two mountains, right? There's Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of slavery, and Mount Zion, which is the mountain of freedom. And, and Galatians paints the picture of two women, Hagar, the, 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 the woman of slavery, and Sarah, the woman of freedom. And, and the apostle John in 1 John, he, he talks about it as, as two kingdoms, one of darkness and one of light. And, and you either live in the light or you live in darkness. And, and Revelation, if you read Revelation, it reminds us of two cities. There's the city of Babylon, and this city is rebellion and evil and, and filled with sexual sin. And this city is destined to be overthrown. And then there's the new city of Jerusalem, which is filled with joy and righteousness, and, and it will last forever, right? And so there's these two nations, these two themes going all the way through Scripture. And, and, and right here with Rebecca, God promises the one city is going to win, right? It's going to have victory. And so this morning, you know, one of the things that bothers me about Christians is we have like kind of this woe is me mentality. And, and listen, I get the culture is coming against us as believers. And, and, and that doesn't scare me. That's usually what victory looks like is it does get difficult, but in the end, God wins. Isn't that great news? Okay, so, so it's not like, oh, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. If things get difficult for us, God is still going to be true to his promises. He's going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to see us through that. His name will be glorified, as we just sang, no matter what, right? He will be victorious. So how do we get to be a part of the victorious nation? Well, uh, we just talked about this at Christmas time, right, in, for, in John chapter 1. Well, how do we be a part of the nation that wins it's believe in Christ, the, the salvation plan of God, John 1, 12. 
The Apostle John, when he writes kind of the Christmas story, he does it from a theological vantage point. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what did he do? He gave them the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. The Spirit of God born, were born again. We have a new heart that beats after the things of God. That's the second nation. That's the nation of victory. The nation that wins. So there's this two-nation thing. And, and, and the difference is, God, I think, says here as, he's talk, as he answers Rebecca's prayer, is, is kind of opposite world, right? The God of the opposite. And, and what, here's what I mean by that. As you walk with Christ and you, and you walk in his nation, nation of holiness and righteousness and pursuing Christ, the other nation is always going to tell you the opposite. It, it, it's, it's usually the opposite. And so that's why part of the reason we gather corporately and corporate worship and, and small group. Why do I hammer on small group ministry? Because we need to surround ourselves with community that's reminding us of the truths of God and the promises of God and the pathway of God. Because as we walk out of these doors, the rest of the world is going to scream at us the opposite. Because what God did here is he did the opposite. He said, listen, the older is going to be subservient to the younger. Now, you have to know a little bit about ancient Near Eastern culture. In ancient Near Eastern culture, what would happen is, and this is going to be important in just a moment, what would happen is, is the oldest son would get the inheritance of the father, and then it was his responsibility to take care of the rest of the family, okay? And so if you're a younger sibling today, you wouldn't want to butter up your oldest brother, right? And like, man, you make sure you're well taken care of. But that's how it works. And so God here is doing the opposite. And that's kind of how life works. Listen, if you're here today and your marriage is struggling, you're in a rough patch. I mean, if you go seek the advice of the culture, what's the culture going to tell you? Be happy. Pursue your happiness. That's not what God says about your marriage. Your marriage is an opportunity to pursue holiness and righteousness, right? We know as believers that, that glory and hope come through suffering. It's usually the harder path. We know that in, in the nation of God, you have to give to receive. You have to wait to get. You have to lose your life to gain it. It's, it's, a, it's a people of humility. It's a people of patience. It's a people of waiting for God's timing to reveal his glory in and through our lives, which usually accompanies some difficulty. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, when the Corinthian church was struggling with pride and who to follow, and he said, man, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why would God do that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification and the redemption. Why? So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God is building a nation of humility and dependence on him. That's what he's doing. So in the womb of Rebecca are two nations. 
And in this room are people that have to decide which nation are you a part of. And so let's look at the rejected nation. The rejected nation is Esau, okay? So we're going to skip to Genesis 25, verse 29, all right? And so the thing that we're going to see here, so now we kind of go to this. So let me give you a little overview. Let me, we're going to go to this really strange story that I think is a beautiful picture of the nation that rejects the things of God. And, I, and my suspicion is that this was a microcosm of the, of the life of Esau. And we see in chapter 26 where Esau grieves his parents when he marries a woman that just brings hardship on the family. And my suspicion is he, he didn't seek any advice. This is just a microcosm of Esau. He does what he wants to do. He, he's rash. He's foolish. He, he doesn't seek counsel of people that are older or wiser than him. He just, he just does whatever he wants to do. And, and we learn, and what, kind of what we're skipping over, is that Jacob and Esau couldn't be more different. Like Jacob, is, uh, he's maybe a little more refined. He hangs out in the tents. He likes to cook, you know, that kind of thing. And Esau's a hunter. And, man, he's grew up. And, he's, and by the way, this isn't the good or bad, okay? The good or bad is belief or unbelief. They're just totally different. You know, Esau's kind of a, a man's man. I had one of these moments this week where I was checking my wife's oil in my car, in her car, you know, and, and we, it's been having some oil problems. So anyway, I pulled the dipstick and as I was putting it back, and I'm not very handy and I don't like to work with my hands, as I'm putting it back in, I, I shoved my finger in with this and I pinched myself and I gave him a blood blister. I'm like, ow, you know, and I'm, it's kind of Jacob-ish, you know, like I don't, I don't really do this stuff, you know. Now I got oil on me and it's gross and, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, so I'm Jacob-ish in that regard. And so, so y'all like, yeah, man, get under the hood and get dirty. I don't know why you would do that, but that's what you do. All right. So, you know, he's just kind of, yeah, that's Esau. Okay. But, but bigger than that is it, these two couldn't be more different, but here is what God sees as different. Esau, at the end of the day, he rejects the things of God and he loves his sin. And that's the difference between belief and unbelief. And so we see this in Genesis 25 verse 29. So here's this story and it's just a microcosm of Esau. It says, so once when Jacob was cooking stew, and by the way, as we read this, we're, we're supposed to be grieved for Esau, okay? As we read this, and I'm going to apply it to you and I, okay? As we read this, what in the world was he thinking, right? And so, and so Esau came from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, in verse 31. So Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Okay, this is where you got to understand the culture. The birthright is this birth order thing. It's the, man, the oldest one gets all the inheritance of the father, right? So, so here's this moment. Esau comes in from hunting. He's really hungry, right? And and it's like this extreme, ridiculous request of Jacob. Like, hey, give me dad's inheritance and I'm going to give you a bowl of soup. Right? Exactly. So Esau said, now listen to how he processes this. I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. 
And so Jacob said, swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, he drank, he rose, he went his way. Now I want you to hear this. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I imagine so. Listen, you ready? I'm going I'm to apply it and then I'm going to unpack it. Every time we choose sin, every time we choose disobedience, we are saying, God, I want my cup of soup now. I don't care about my inheritance. This is supposed to be a picture of sin. Man, I want what I want and I want it now. And I don't think about my inheritance, and I don't think about the future, and I don't think about anything that's coming. I'm, I'm hungry. I have an appetite for something, and I want it this very second. And every time, so we look at this, and we're supposed to read the story and go, what in the world was he thinking? And I think God gives it to us as a beautiful picture of when we choose sin, we go, man, I want my cup of soup now. How silly, Right? And it's silly because we refuse to think about the Word of God and the promises of God. So three things about this this nation that rejects the things of God illustrated by Esau, right? That first of all, sin always addresses an immediate appetite. Sin always addresses, it's impulsive, right? I mean, think about what Esau said. Like, I'm about to die. I mean, was Esau really about to die? Surely not. Right? But it's impulsive. And he, he, he gave away his family inheritance because he was really hungry. Listen, I get hangry too, but I'm not sure I'm getting rid of the family inheritance, right? And Esau trades us away. And, and, and so here's the deal, right? The deal is this, that when we sin, we trade the, uh, we, 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 we move on an, on an immediate urge, one of the things I've talked about over and over at Coastal, I said, man, if I was going to put my finger on two particular cultural sins, all right, there's plenty of them, but if I was going to put my finger on two, it probably would be, it'd probably be sexual sin and greed, right? Listen, God, God invented sex, and, he, and it's a good thing, but he also told us, here's how it, here's how it best functions. It, it functions in the confines of marriage, and everything outside of that is, is, hey, I want my soup now, and I don't care about the future. And greed, if you don't think we're a greedy culture, like, go home today and just Google U.S. debt where we've mortgaged our future for the immediate. I mean, the, the country is in debt at 20, some unfathomable number. 22 trillion? And that doesn't include credit card debt and mortgage debt and student loan debt and on and on it goes because, man, we have to have the immediate and we could never have lesser, so let's just mortgage the future for what we want now. I mean, we're a greedy country. And there's these sins of the immediate, and, and sin just says, man, I have this thing, right? And, and even among Christians, right? When, I mean, the, the call, Christians, if, you, if it's a Christian marriage, a Christian man and woman should not be divorcing. Should be working through it. There's difficult times. I know all that, but man, we take the name of Christ. 
Malachi 2 tells us God hates divorce. So if we're in the nation that loves what God loves, then we got to hate what God hates. But Esau was not in that. He loved his sin. He loved his rebellion against the Lord. And so it's just, just immediate, which leads to the second point. Like sin has no ability to consider the long term, right? Like what do you want your story to be? Listen, young people, as you're dating and you're single and we're talking about sex and I'm talking about purity, one day, I just want to, I want to put your cap on, okay? One day, you're going to be sitting there with your 16, 17, 18-year-old kid and they're going to ask you, were mom or dad, were you, or, you and dad or you and mom, were you pure when you dated? What do you want your story to be? Are you sitting with your grandkids? What do you want your story to be? Sin does not have the ability to think long term. And I would challenge you with this. I think our lives impact our children's 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 children in good ways or bad ways. The love of, the God, the love of God goes down to a thousand generations, Deuteronomy says. So when we, so we, choose, the, we choose the soup sometimes, don't we? Man, I, I'm fan, I, like, right? How many, how many songs are written? I, I bet you, don't think about it too long now because I want you to concentrate on the sermon, okay? But, but like, how many songs are written where the song is encouraging some form of sexual sin and then it follows that up with don't think about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Why is that phrase in so many songs? Well, it's, it's the nation of Esau. It's give me my soup. I'm not, I'm not worried about my birthright, which leads when we, you know, when we don't think about tomorrow, we don't think about when we follow some immediate appetite and we ignore God's word and God's ways and God's promises, then the next logical conclusion is we despise our birthright. That's what Esau does. He, he would now see his father's wealth as something to be hated Right? He didn't look at his father's wealth as, man, that's going to be a blessing to me one day. I'm going to get to inherit in the good things. He now hated it. Right? Instead of waiting and being positive and joyful and anticipation, Esau foolishly gave it away. At no time does he repent. At no time does he ask for it back. Right? He, changes this, this, he exchanges a cup of soup and, 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 for, and gives away his inheritance, and now he doesn't want it. This is, this is a picture of what we exchange. Right? And, so, and, and so, so you know, like one of the things that... <clears throat> We say a lot behind the scenes here at Coastal is sin clusters, right? It just clusters, it clusters, it clusters. And so the clustering here is that, man, I, I exchanged the, the long term for the immediate, and now I can't even stand the thought of my inheritance. It's just a frustration to me. And so we see the same thing in Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says the same thing, right? Where he says, man, when we began to give in to sin, we begin to live in the nation of Esau, eventually it goes so far in our thinking that we despise God. We hate our inheritance. When I'm talking to a young person, and even an old person, right? But I'm talking to a young person, and I knew this person used to be fired up for God, you know, and then they come and make an appointment with me, and they're like, hey, Pastor Sean, I don't really know if I even believe in God anymore. You want to know what question I ask them? Who are you sleeping with? Why would I ask that question? Because I've gotten the answer a gazillion times. Well, now that you mention it. So that sin begins to cluster to now, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. It's despising your birthright. 
right? And Romans 1 paints this picture. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to their debased minds to do what they ought not to be done. So here's this downward spiral. They filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I love this one. After all that really horrible stuff, we don't think of this one as horrible. Disobedient to parents, right? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, right, but they give approval to those who practice them. You see what Paul's talking about here? He's talking about nations. He's talking about community, right? There's a righteous community that we as Christians walk in and should be walking in, and then there's an unrighteous community that they begin to spur one another on towards evil. This is not a race thing. It's not, you know, it's not national lines. This is a, a worldview of two nations. And so Esau is the second nation. No ability to turn from sin. He loves his sin, ultimately. He hates what, God, what is good and just and true. He hates his birth. He despises his birthright. Which leads to number three, all right? Let's look at the, the nation that God blesses. And, and we're going to look at Isaac. And in Isaac, I want you to see Jacob, okay? And so Isaac and Jacob. So when you read, a lot of times when you read your scripture, you hear, you hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because these are the patriarchs. These are the ones that ultimately trusted the word of the Lord. And we see this trust in the word of the Lord in Genesis 26, all right? And so in Genesis 26, we'll skip down. I'll go quickly through this, all right? So in Genesis 26... There's a famine that breaks out, and the expedient thing to do would have been for, the peop- for, for Isaac to take his family and go to Egypt, because there was a lot of food in Egypt. But God tells him, again, this goes back to what I said earlier, oftentimes as followers of Christ, we're asked to do the difficult thing, to trust the Lord. And so he says, God tells Isaac, don't go to the land of Egypt. So he says, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him, and he said, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I bless you for you and to your offspring, and I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will multiply your offspring. Here's this reaffirmation of the promise to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens. I will give to your offspring all of these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my law. So the nation that's under the blessing of God hears and obeys the word of the Lord, right? They hear the word of the Lord and they say, hey, as an act of worship of, hey, God, I want to glorify you in all of my life, like we just sang about, in all that I do, right? We hear the word of the Lord and we obey the word of the Lord. And by the way, how can you hear the word of the Lord if you're not reading the word of the Lord? I mean, I could spend a whole sermon on that. I'm just, I'm shocked at what studies are showing us about Christians, how little intake of the Word of God we're getting on a regular basis. I can't stress with you enough what an opportunity I'm giving you this week to read Genesis, take in the Word of the Lord, right? And so the nation that God is with, they hear the Word of the Lord, they obey the Word of the Lord, and they believe, be, they believe God's promises beyond their lifetime, They believe God's promises. So he says all the nations, it's thinking long-term. It's thinking eternally long-term, right? And we see this in Romans 8 where Paul says that, you know, this broken creation is groaning. And he says in Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons 
the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? In other words, we don't hope for what we already have. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it in patience. The nation that the Lord is building is a patient nation. They trust the promise of the Lord. They know that God is true to his promises. It's just a matter of his timing of when he's going to reveal that his word will be true and our faith will be sight. It's a patient nation thinking eternally. And finally, God is sovereign and faithful in fulfilling his promises. Okay? And I'm actually going to unpack this in the coming weeks. Okay? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But here's what I want to tell you. All right? As you read Genesis you are going to read a ton of crazy stories. All right, you're going to read some stories that will leave you going, I, I don't know, and you're going to want to ask me, and I'm going to look at you, and I go, I don't know, okay? So, so what we won't know together, but here's what I do know. All right, here's what I do know. It's neither the sin of those who are a part of his nation, nor the sin of those that are in rebellion to the things God are doing. Neither of those can thwart the promises of God. Isn't that good news? And so even as a Christian, when I stumble and I fall this week, and I will, and you will, right, even in that, I know God is going to see his promises through in my life. Isn't that great news? And I'm trusting in that. Because I know that he who began a good work in me is going to be what, church? Anybody know? Faithful to complete it, right? Because he is true to his promises. So here's the so what. Which nation are you putting your feet in? Which nation are you putting your feet in? Are you the person that's loving your sin? You know, listen, if you're here this morning and you're, you're dating someone and they're leading you into sexual sin, and you're, you're putting your feet in the wrong nation. And so the advice I would give you is break up with that person immediately. Go out on the parking lot after the service and say, hey, we, we're done. I'm, I'm walking in the wrong nation. I want to be in the nation of blessing, the nation of eternal life. If you're here this morning and, and your marriage is struggling and you've been throwing out the D word, let's get a divorce, I want to encourage you, man. That's not the nation of God. Like, I'm going to fight. I'm going to die to self. I, I have a bigger picture. I'm thinking through, but first and foremost, the glory of God. I'm thinking about my children's children's children. That I want to leave a legacy of faith. I want to be a part of that nation. Maybe you're here this morning and there's an addiction that's got a hold of your life. Because of that, man, you, you're trying to walk with the Lord, but man, you keep getting sucked back into the wrong nation with this addiction. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's gambling. Listen, you've got to bring that sin to light. We've got to stop sugarcoating it. We've got to call it what it is. We've got to bring that sin to light. I've got great news for you, by the way. We have an incredible class for both men and women called The Heart of Addiction, where we're here to help you overcome that sin. If you want to be a part of it, you can just let us know. Come get me. Write something on the tear off on the way out. We will get you hooked up this week so that you can plant your feet in the right nation. Maybe you're here this morning. You came in here because life's hitting you upside the head. Let me tell you something. The beginning point of being in the right nation is trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. God loved you so much. He didn't leave us in our darkness. He sent his son to literally drag us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of blessing, the kingdom of good. It's not an accident that you're here today. And I want to encourage you. Maybe today is the day you say, you know what? I've been living in the wrong nation. I'm calling that what it is. It's sin, and I want to be a part of the nation that believes. Repent of sin. 
believe in Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for this picture of these two nations. Thank you for the picture of what it looks like when we choose sin, God. God, help us not to be a people that exchange your word and your ways and your righteousness, your goodness for a bowl of soup. Help us to give attention to our temptations, God. Say, you know what, I'm not exchanging. I'm going to endure with patience, knowing that God is true to his promises. Heavenly Father, I pray for the one this morning that doesn't yet know you, that today, God, they're not an accident, they're here, and they realize, you know what, this morning I'm in the wrong nation, that today would be the day, you know, I'm going to call it sin, I'm going to trust in God's rescue plan, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to give us hope, to give us purpose, to give us joy, to give us both life abundant and life eternal. I trust him today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you're here this morning...